Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Off Script with Pastor Jared. Flying solo today in the studio. I have a question that I want to deal with that came through as a uh, user-submitted request. And as always, want to remind you, you can submit uh, prompts and questions for me to do on the Offscript podcast. If you go to kirbywoods.org slash offscript, you'll find a form there. You can anonymously send in whatever topic you want me to address. So today is going to be a, a bit more doctrinal, I guess you could call it, theological doctrinal. Uh, the question, simply this, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Now I'm going to try to pare down the answer some, because there's a lot of things you could say. I'm going to try to pare down the answer some with what the Holy Spirit uniquely does. I'm guessing that's what the questioner wants to know is, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do maybe that's different from what God the Father does, maybe that's different from what Jesus does. So what's what are some unique things the Spirit does? And um, probably, question is probably coming from the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit can be a, a bit under, what's the word, uh, appreciated, underutilized, undertaught. That's uh, a typical Baptist problem. Everybody's got their problems. <laughs> Ours, uh, we tend to under underutilize the Holy Spirit, especially in our teaching in, in Baptist circles. Um, Presbyterians probably would, would say the same thing. But uh, on the other side, Pentecostals tend to overdo it a bit with the Holy Spirit, uh, tend to kind of oversell and over uh, belabor the point. So, um, on our side, we tend to need to have these moments where we go back and say, no, actually, the Holy Spirit is is good. It's not something to fear more than to be taught. And, and uh, so the Holy Spirit is one of the three members of the Trinity. Uh, as when we say God, uh, I'm going to have to do a little Trinity discussion here to start off. When we say God, uh, what we really mean theologically is God the Father, God the Son, God the the Spirit. Uh, so God exists in three persons. Each one of those persons is fully God, and yet at the same time, we still would affirm as Christians there is one God. So somehow the three persons uh, share enough to be considered one God. So uh, we don't have three gods as Christians. We don't say uh, we are a uh, I don't know what the right word is, an oligarchy of gods, <laughs> just a short a short list of three. No, we still say we, we are monotheists. We have one God. They just happen to be in the form of three persons. So if you're confused about that, uh, join every Christian who's ever lived. It's pretty normal to, to be a confusing thought, uh, but uh, that's, that's how God has revealed himself to us. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, often neglected is the Spirit. And uh, today we're going to go through, I have 10 points, uh, they're going to be brief, don't worry, 10 points about what the Holy Spirit does. I tried to come up with a good list for you guys, something you could um, keep in your tool belt and be aware, because this Holy Spirit, here's the cool thing, as, as I kind of you know, if you would have caught me cold and asked me this question, I think I could have given you like five of these. But having just a few minutes to sit down and think and thumb through Scripture just a bit really gave me an opportunity to be reminded the Holy Spirit actually does a lot. Uh, he is very much uh, an integral part of the Bible and the New Testament especially, and uh, really key 
to ministry in general. So um, without further ado, let's get into it. What does the Holy Spirit uniquely do? Well, the first thing I thought of was inspire and write the Bible. Inspire and write the Bible. So through human authors, certainly, uh, we, we believe our doctrine of inspiration is that uh, men of God, when they wrote the original autograph, uh, were moved by the Holy Spirit, that God the Spirit moved upon them in such a way that they recorded truthfully what they were writing. And Second um, Timothy 3.16 is really a, one of a handful of key verses on this that says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is Theonustos, God breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So uh, Scripture is a work of the Holy Spirit. Every author that wrote, uh, we believe, was moved and guided and prompted by the Holy Spirit, uh, sovereignly prevented from error, and um, that's one of his unique roles, is that he gave us the Bible. It's a it's a unique document in that it's extremely diverse in its authorship. Uh, it's took place over, what, 1,500 years, I guess? Uh, but at the same time, there is an incredible unity in the Bible, in that there there's clearly uh, a single mind that's drawing together. I mean, how else do you get, um, you know, Abraham or uh, Moses and uh, David on the same page as Paul and John and Peter who never saw each other or dreamed of meeting each other? It's incredible to think about that they were so united in their writing of Scripture. So um, anyway, I I thought let's start off with the with an easy one. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. Number two, what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit is key in his conviction of sin. So uh, when we say conviction of sin, we mean that, uh, you know, when you have that sense that you have crossed the line, that you have wronged God, that you, the thing you did was indeed wrong and sinful, and there's that pit in your stomach, and there's that sense of, of guilt or shame that sets in. Um, in the right context and in the right way, that's actually a blessing. That's called conviction. So um, conviction in John 16, 6 through 8, uh, Jesus said this. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, Jesus says, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus said he's going to convict when he gets there. So Holy Spirit is more than just fuzzy good time feelings uh, that he does convict of sin. So when you have sinned and, and you have crossed the line and you have done that which is wrong or evil or bad, uh, that sense of, ooh, man, I need to get right with God. That right there, that's conviction. And that's something the Holy Spirit does. You're not going to feel that apart from God. Feeling bad about your sin, that you're not just going to naturally in your fallen state feel that. That is a gift of God. So uh, Christians can be convicted of sin, and lost people can be convicted of sin insofar as it leads them to repentance and ultimately salvation. So that's number two. Number three, 
what does the Holy Spirit do? Regeneration. Regeneration. Um, so the Holy Spirit, uh, what, we, what we mean with regeneration is essentially an opening of the spiritual eyes to believe. That, uh, that he creates a new life inside you spiritually. That he makes your, the light bulb kind of the, think of the cartoon, you know, when the light bulb in your brain gets clicked on and, and above your head, that spiritual light bulb comes on and it's like, boom, I get it. I get it now. So Jesus said in John 3, uh, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so uh, there's this element of if you haven't had that, whatever that born again means, that's, unless you've had that, you're kind of sitting in spiritual darkness. And you see that pictured in John 3 as Nicodemus is kind of trying to put pieces together. He's talking to Jesus and he's like, what do you mean? Uh, be born twice, uh, crawl back in my mother's womb. And it's like, dude, you're, you're completely in the dark here. Uh, that's what Jesus is talking about. Unless you've been born again, none of this makes sense. All this is spiritual gobbledygook unless there's a unless there's a Holy Spirit to make sense of it. And surely there's teaching involved, but initially there, there has to be a Holy Spirit movement. That's regeneration. Paul used a different word for it in Ephesians 2.5. He says, uh, even when you were dead in your trespasses, so he's done that whole spiel about being dead in sin and trespasses, children of wrath, and then he said, but in that you were made alive together with Christ. By grace you were saved. So that word, he, he made us alive. Made us alive. So you were regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God who allowed your spiritual eyes to be open, allowed you to exercise your faith and to believe and to call out uh, and, and ultimately to be saved. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, regeneration. That's uh, number three. How about number four? Number four, what else does the Spirit uniquely do? Well, he seals our salvation. He puts a seal on our salvation. He finalizes it. He makes it um, unbreakable. So if we look at Ephesians 1, 12 through 14, it says, In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. All right, let me translate that. Very simply put, when you believe the gospel for real, you put your faith in Christ and you believe, at that moment there is a seal slapped upon you. Think, think that uh, glob of wax in the, in the Bible that goes on the parchment paper, a legal document that gets sealed up with wax. Uh, that's, that's a picture of what happens to you in the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 1 says that that promise, that seal, is a guarantee. It's a down payment of what's to come in the future. So the Holy Spirit, even in that seal and, and the, uh, it, that God with us uh, mentality that we have, that is a, a per, almost a, a percentage, like a down payment would be. Like our down payment, you might have a 20%, 10% down payment on a house. Um, and that's basically saying I'm good for more money if you give me more time. That's what a down payment is. Well, this is God's way of saying 
I will give you the Holy Spirit now who lives with you, in you, and seals you. And that's me saying I'm good for the full open presence of God when you get to heaven. There's more to come, but I'm giving you something great right now. That's the Holy Spirit. He seals your salvation. And that word seal really is means it's not to be broken. It's not to be um, undone. It's a legal document. So when you are in Christ, you are not going to be removed from Christ. So that's what that's another thing he does. Number four. How about number five? What does the Spirit uniquely do? Number five, sanctification, a.k.a. he makes us holy. Imagine that. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. It's almost like it's in his name. So if we look at a couple texts, um, Galatians 5, 16 through 17, Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, um, in other words, when we're saved, uh, a, a great work is done in us, in our hearts, in our natures. We're fundamentally changed. At the same time, there's still a lifelong battle with sin you're going to wage. You're going to have to deal with temptations. Um, you're going to be able to deal with them now in a way you weren't able before, Christ and before the Spirit lived in you, but there's still going to be some give and take. There's still going to be some fight. Um, you're still going to have to lay down your preferences, and, and you're, you're going to have to, Jesus said, pick up your cross. You're going to have to do all that, um, but you now have help you didn't have before, okay? That's where sanctification comes in. Uh, the Spirit of God works with you to make you more holy. Uh, if you yield to Him, uh, and let him drive the car, your life will get holier as you go. That's a sign that you're in Christ, that you progressively become more like him, um, that you are conformed to the image of Jesus. That's, that's what it is to be holy, that throughout your life, you should be getting more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's here to, to help you do that. That's his goal. That's one of his main things. Um, so when you are full of the spirit, you're going to live more like Jesus every day. And, and this month, our memory verse comes to mind, the fruit of the spirit. Uh, that means the manifestations of having the spirit in you. You're going to, you're going to show love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are going to manifest in you the same way a fruit manifests on a tree branch. Those things are going to just pop out of you because that's who you are. They're fruits of the Spirit having been inside you, okay? So that's what it is to be sanctified. You're made more like Jesus every day. You get stronger against your sin. You're more conformed to the image of Christ, all right? That's another thing the Spirit does. That's number five. Number six, what does the Spirit do? He boldly testifies to Jesus, and uh, preferably through us, through our mouth. So as we study the book of Acts, we've seen this over and over again, uh, but I'm just reminded of one of the key verses of Acts, which is 1, 7, and 8. Um, Acts 1, 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In other words, when the Spirit fills you, there's this, there's this innate desire 
to talk about Jesus and not in not even in a way that's kind of secretive, but there's a desire to take the gospel and get it out into the world and to testify to Jesus boldly. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. And in fact, I titled the series Boldness and Power because it was so obviously a theme on every page. So uh, that that desire to say, not only do I want to proclaim Christ, I want to do so boldly, clearly. I want to make it known. I don't want to live as a secret Christian. I don't want to speak in a way where you could take it you know, you could kind of take me this way or you could take me that way. And maybe if you interpret the right way, I'm not really saying what you think I'm saying. No, I want to I want to say Christ is Lord. I want to put the gospel out there. Jesus is the only way you must believe in him. There is salvation in no one else. Uh, he is the risen Lord, risen from the dead, crucified on the third day, rose from dead, ascended to the right hand of father. Let's be clear about it. Let's be open about it. That's what it is to boldly testify Uh, to Christ. So the Spirit makes you want to do that, and the Spirit empowers you to do that. In that that upper room, it said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. So you're probably not going to be a witness for Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's something he does. All right, that's number six. Number seven, Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts he gives spiritual gifts. Um, this is something that often gets talked about. Uh, this is one of the areas where people actually do tend to know the Holy Spirit does. Um, but yeah, there, there are things that you kind of have a, a little more of a tendency toward, a little more of a gift toward, uh, that we believe the Holy Spirit has has gifted you with. The ability, uh, these are mostly local church gifts, the ability within your local church uh, to use yourself as a in the right spot so the metaphor in most of scripture that the church is a body um, like a human body and you got to have hands you got to have feet you got to have a nose you got to have a stomach you got to have a back and you know all these things in order for the for the body to do its thing and paul says it's the spirit of god who doles out each one of these gifts uh, so I'll read it to you in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Um, after he lists all the spiritual gifts, and you could read those for yourself in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 11 he says, All these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the the distribution of the spiritual gifts is completely an act of the Holy Spirit that he does um, as one of his jobs. So that's number seven. Number eight, what does the Spirit do? Uh, the Spirit helps us with discernment and spiritual warfare. Discernment and spiritual warfare. Um, there are times in life when you need to know what's what spiritually. You might be presented with two options. You might be presented with what you feel is a manifestation of the enemy in your life, a satanic influence or an antichrist influence, um, false teaching that's right in your face. And you need to know what is gospel and what is false. You need to know what's true, what's from God, and what is not from God. Well, we're told in Scripture the Holy Spirit will help us in those times. Um, 1 John 4 says this, Beloved, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So just to put it very simply, um, the ability to discern what is from God and is not from God is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, so, And that's something that I think is trainable. You do get more uh, sharp on that front. Um, that, I think, is something that a pastor must excel in. Um, and uh, not just pastors, but I do think it, you need to have that as a pastor, as a shepherd, to be able to know what is a threat to your congregation uh, and what is not a threat. And on some level, every Christian needs that. You don't want to be easy pickings for the enemy. Uh, but that's a, that's a uniqueness of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's number eight. Number nine, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? Number nine, he gives us a sense of God's presence with us. Um, so at the risk of sounding a little touchy-feely, I, I do think, though, this is a biblical concept, that there are, there are times when invisible things are, are made manifest to us as Christians for our benefit, that there's times when we just have to live by faith and we don't have really much to grab onto and we just have to trust but there are times when God in his goodness gives to us a little something a little more tangible that we can hang our hat on. And there's times in our life when I, I'm just going to say you can sense the presence of God with you more strongly in certain times uh, than you can in other times. And, um, and again, I, and if for you, if that's always at the crescendo of the band's best song on Sunday, you know, you might be a little suspect because it's not really, it, 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 emotions are a part of everything, but it shouldn't be a primarily an emotional response. Um, but there, there are times in life when you just sense um, the realness and the presence of God and you know he's with you and you know you're in his will and you know you're walking with him and there's just a feeling that you have. That's right. I said the feeling word. There is a feeling that you have that he's, he has made it known to you that you are in God's presence. I think there's a time for that, ladies and gentlemen. A Baptist preacher said it. Uh, Romans eight fifteen uh, through 17 says this. Uh, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So there's times when the Spirit bears witness with your spirit in, in a sense that he is telling you you are truthfully his. You just have that sense, man, God is real and I am a child of God. I believe it. I know it. This is for real. And I'm just sitting in it today as absolute fact, and I'm happy, and I, and I know it's true, and there's a joy that I have. Uh, the Romans 8 would say that's a function of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it's a great thing. Um, not always going to be there every second of the day, uh, but, when it, but when it's there, absolute blessing. So that's number nine. Number 10, 
What does the Holy Spirit do? This is the last one that I have. Probably not an exhaustive list. I did my best, but I probably missed something. So number 10, the Holy Spirit unifies God's people. He brings unity to the church. So um, Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 um, we're reminded of that class. Many church covenants have this, that verse 3 that says, uh, we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there there should just be, because the Spirit lives in us, a unity amongst other believers. And uh, that is an absolute function of the Holy Spirit. So you can tell a church that is full of the Spirit at any given time when whether or not uh, there's unity there. So if you see a unified church, and I mean united around truth, not united in error, but united in truth, on mission, doing what they're supposed to be doing, that is an excellent chance that that church is full of the Spirit at that time. They're just firing on all spiritual cylinders. Conversely, you see a church that's in the middle of fighting, in the middle of um, false teaching, in the middle of just anger and backbiting and all those things that you don't want. Uh, very good chance that church, not their best spiritual moment at the time, that they are spiritually struggling, not full of the Spirit, maybe not even getting uh, fed from the from the pulpit. Uh, every situation is different, but it, it's, it's possible that there's a lot of bad things going on in the leadership of the church, or it could be bad things going on in the congregation, or both. Uh, you, you never know. But that's usually a sign. Disunity is usually a sign that the Spirit of God is not has not been given control in that church, and that people have wrested that uh, power from the Holy Spirit, and they've quenched, and they're doing their own thing. So um, when you have the Spirit, though, in your church, it's just a time of unity and joy and peace, and you're together, and you're on mission, and it's a wonderful thing. So that should be the goal, because when a, all the people are full of the Spirit, when the leadership's full of the Holy Spirit, the church is full of the Holy Spirit. So those are your 10 things. I'll do a quick run-through for you one more time. What does the Spirit do? He inspired the Bible. He convicts us of sin. He regenerates us. He seals our salvation. He sanctifies us. He testifies to Jesus boldly. He gives spiritual gifts. He helps us discern and fight spiritual warfare. He gives us a sense of God's presence with us, and he brings unity to God's people. So hopefully that's a help for you, needing a little bulk up on what exactly the Holy Spirit of God does. That's a lot of things. The Holy Spirit is a significant part of our Christian life. You take those 10 things away, and man, that's a whole different Bible. So don't underestimate the power and necessity and work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. Enjoyed this podcast. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. Do all the things you're supposed to do. Subscribe, follow, like, share, uh, leave a rating, review, all those things. And um, most importantly, if you're looking for a biblical church uh, that uh, God's Word is going to be proclaimed every Sunday, uh, man, if you're in the Memphis area, come check us out, Kirby Woods Baptist Church. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you.